Hello and welcome to Curiosity Killed the Cat. I am Sarah and today we are going to be discussing Villains Part 2. The next episode will include our My Girl review and our Pussycat of the Week, Jamie Lee Curtis. But for this one, we've got about, I think, roughly about an hour up ahead here. And uh, we are going to be getting into the rest of our villains for the villain series. So stay tuned. Now, I know at the beginning of the part one uh, villains conversation here, I went into great, fine detail when it came to Jamie Lannister. And, you know, I probably could have just left it at that, but I'm never going to do that. And so if you are a big fan of the show, a big fan of the books, um, you're going to I really hope you appreciate this little um, blurb on Mr. Jamie Lannister. He is one of my favorite characters in the books. He was one of the most surprising characters to me. I never intended on liking this guy. And look what happened to us all. We all got just bent to his will. He showed us his true colors. He showed us his reasonings for some of his actions. And, you know, we all found a way to um, kind of come back to Jamie Lannister and and, and really kind of like the guy. Again, never going to forgive him for pushing Bran out of the window, but um, we can always give thanks and say praise be to uh, the universe above for him coming back to the bear cage and saving Brienne of Tarth when she was literally left to fight a bear with a wooden sword. Um, he came back with like no hand and he did that. So some things can be slightly redeemable, not all the way, but a little bit. Um, so anyways, to go back to the beginning, when it comes to Mr. Jamie Lannister, um, we're going to get started with him. I'm going to talk about red from us, Magneto, Hela, and then I'm going to end with a the Darth Vader stuff. So, Jamie. Jamie Lannister is the second child, technically speaking, to Tywin Lannister. Papa Tywin Lannister, if you will. Uh, another complicated figure, strong man, but uh, provocative. A lot of controvers- controversial uh, actions and decisions made in his life. Uh, the old lion, if you will. But, um... I don't, I, I don't feel like he passed down the same kind of like vibes to all of the kids, you know, the, in, in the books, um, it said that, that Tyrion is like the truest of all of his children, like the one that's the most like him in terms of like political savvy and, you know, using your brain to think like several steps ahead, you know, kind of like a chessboard, um, Lots of rumors about Tyrion being a Targaryen himself. Um, nope, sorry, I'm not one of those people that buy into that. Um, I buy into the theory that he is the, the truest of Tywin's sons. And um, I'm not going to get into tinfoil hat conspiracy theories, but um, in all of the research and all of the reading that I have done and all of the podcasts I listen to, shout out to Bend the Knee, um, really... It, it's honestly, you guys, don't be surprised that when these last two books come out, that, that it's going to be Jamie and it's going to be uh, Cersei that 
end up being secret Targaryens. Everybody's a secret Targaryen, um, in my opinion. My whole theory about the whole books and everything is that lineage doesn't really, like, matter. That's why Bran ends up on the throne and the show. Who knows how it'll really end. I'm getting off subject because it's Game of Thrones, and that's what I'm going to do every time I talk about Game of Thrones. We're going to go down five different highways, and I'm going to always try to just bring it back around. But, um, But when it comes to villains, when it comes to A Song of Ice and Fire... Jamie Lannister is a gray area. Um, we get at the very beginning of the very first book in your very first episode, you have him pushing a little child out of a window. Um, that sets off a chain effect of all sorts of different things. Does that help bring the magic back? Because Bran, you know, becomes the three eyed raven and blah, 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 and all this fun stuff. Um, but what happens is before he pushes Bran out of the window, we can go all the way back to when he is with the Mad King and he um, decides to kill him after the sacking of King's Landing because he um, is one of the only people with the real information that the Mad King is planning on roasting the whole city. You know, he's got his Cersei green wildfire again, another Easter egg to the Tark to fucking Jamie and Cersei being a Targaryen. There's lots of little Easter egg guys. Again, I know I sound crazy, but don't be fucking surprised when like BuzzFeed has an article five years from now being like, what? Oh my God, this book just came out and the Targaryen fucking the Lannister twins are actually Targaryens because yes, I'm telling you, I'm. We'll save that for a different episode. Oh, I really don't want to. I want to get into it so bad. But um, anyways, um, Jamie knows that um, King Eris, the Mad King, has had um, caches of wildfire spread about the whole of King's Landing. And that when, um, you know, Robert's Rebellion comes in to, you know, kill him and sack the city and do, you know, take over... He's going to torch the place. He's going to nuke it. He's going to burn it all down. He doesn't give a flying fuck, okay? Because he's fucking crazy. He goes cuckoo. One flew over the cuckoo's nest and then some. So Jamie Lannister is one of the only people in the whole entire realm in King's Landing close to this fucking mad dude that understands this information. He knows it and he has to make the decision to kill an old, angry, petty, vengeful, um, unpredictable king. The only thing you could predict about King Eris, which you want to talk about a villain. That guy's a great fucking villain. King Eris is absolutely mad. He has committed crime after crime after crime. And he only is able to get away with it because he's the king of the whole fucking world. So Jamie Lannister says, no more. I don't really give a shit about anybody in King's Landing. I don't know them, but you know what? They deserve to live more than this guy. And he breaks the biggest vow he's ever made in his whole entire life. He became a member of the King's Guard when he was just a teenager. It was the only thing he ever wanted. He was born with a golden spoon, if you will, into the lap of luxury. He was meant to be the heir to this casterly rock freaking empire. And he just wanted to be a knight. 
you know, whether he wanted to get out of these duties, who knows, he just wanted to be a knight, and as gross as it is, he just wanted to be with Cersei, and so he was just like, fuck it all, let me do my thing. And so King Aerys, again, lets him become part of the Kingsguard when he's just a teenager, and he holds him real close to him. He keeps him real close, he takes him out of Tywin's clutches, he kind of sort of kidnaps Tywin Lannister's son, and again, another Easter egg to why the Mad King might want to keep Jaime close could be his fucking long-lost Targaryen son. Again, don't come at me with the tinfoil hats until it's all done. Um, so, anyways, he does that. He sets off a whole chain effect of, um, <laughs> of, of events that happen after um, stabbing King Aerys. Um, again, like I said, when Ned Stark comes into, um, you know, the Red Keep, into the the castle he sees Jamie on the throne and he just sees it as this like you know Jamie is sitting there he could kind of just claim it if he wanted to save it for his family um he kind of technically does because Robert Baratheon comes in as the king he takes over it's his rebellion he marries Cersei therefore the Lannisters are one in the same pretty much power wise as Robert Baratheon himself. So, um, Ned Stark doesn't really like that. And, um, we see everything sort of in the beginning through his perspective. And so Ned Stark gives us our first lens of Jamie Lannister and it's a bad guy. It's a gross guy. We don't like him. He's just kind of like the epitome of like white male privilege and he's like on his horse he's got his golden armor he's screwing his twin sister which is disgusting um somehow that becomes kind of endearing at the end of this whole thing which is so gross it goes to show you what stories do in your brain but long story short we see him through this really really villainous lens like there's very it's very black and white from the beginning there's just no way that you're gonna ever see Jamie Lannister as anything but a hardcore villain and if you haven't seen any of the show, if you haven't read any of the books, um, all I have to say is things come pretty much full circle with him and we learn a lot about why he does what he does and he's just a guy, you know, he has his actions, he has his reasons, he doesn't really try to make excuses for anything, um, and it, and it leads him to become much more of this grayer character and he's really like a, a really good um, when it comes to A Song of Ice and Fire, it's one of the greatest, um, storylines of, of villains being in the swirliness of, of a gray area. And Jamie Lannister is like the, the epitome of that. He is, he is somebody that, again, you start out looking at as a villain and by the end of it, he's kind of something different. And the whole story has characters that are like that, people you think are good, that are bad. And it kind of just shows you nobody's really just good or bad. There's a lot of things in between. And um, he is a character that just really, really exudes that. So um, I'm going to leave it off with Jamie Lannister. Or, you know, that's who we started off with. And um, that's where I'm going to end it right now. So... The next person we have up is Red from Us. Let's get into it. I'm going to tell you a story about a little girl. And there's going to be spoilers about the movie Us. Now, if you haven't seen Us and you don't want to have any of the 
cool twists and turns revealed um, over the next couple minutes. Go ahead, skip ahead. Um, if not, here we go. So this little girl is at a Santa Cruz like fair, one of those state fair type things. She's with her parents. She takes a little stroll. She's got her cool little candy apple, which kind of has an ominous vibe because you're like Snow White, Poison Apple. Like, ooh, is there going to be like some spooky old lady that's going to come get her? Um, no, it's not a spooky old lady. She winds up in a fun house in a hall of mirrors, and she runs into none other than her doppelganger. Yes, a person, another little girl who looks exactly like her. She takes a big old deep breath and we get Lapita Nyong'o years down the road, freaking cruising in the RV with their family. She's got like her husband that's like killing it with the dad jokes. We've got like the kids that are killing it at being kids. Kid actors can be a little bit rough sometimes, but these ones, top notch. So they get to their like vacation house because of course this is a horror movie brought to you by... Mr. Jordan Peele, who has become quite a master at uh, the horror genre and creating unsuspecting villains. So, anyways, we got dad doing his dad joke thing. We got mom, Lupita here. Her name is Adelaide. Okay, so I'm going to start calling her Adelaide. Adelaide is starting to um, get some spook spook vibes. She doesn't like being at this this beach house all this much. She doesn't really like being in the town. Um, this incident that she had from her childhood, uh, caused her, you know, some pretty significant trauma enough. So to where she had to be taken to a therapist by her parents, she had to learn how to speak all over again, you know, all over again. Um, and she, uh, they put her in dance and that helps her like therapy wise. She begins to talk and open up and, you know, becomes like a normal, a normal little girl again. And so that situation stuck with her. You could see it in her eyes that, um, you know, it's something that she's really never let go. And it's almost like she's waiting for something or someone to come back. I'm going to leave it there. Uh, no, we're not gonna leave it there. So she, he, uh, the family, they go out to the beach. They have a, you know, what seems like a nice little day. She's hanging out with her friend who's not really her fucking friend. We've got the fabulous, uh, Scientologist fucking Elizabeth Moss, who's in a great role right here. Um, playing her like boozy, like kind of like, fr like I said, friend, but not a friend. Like they're kind of just stuck hanging out with each other. And, um, her son goes missing. That freaks her out. By the time they get back home, she's just like completely on edge. You can feel the tension. And then what she's been waiting for finally shows up. A family who looks exactly like her family, down to the husband, the daughter, and the son. Standing up at the top of the driveway. They make their way inside. Um, doesn't take them too, too long. And Adelaide's doppelganger who goes by, I guess, well, we go, we go by the name, we have donned her red. She has become, she's just red. 
And um, her and her family are wearing these glorious freaking uh, Heaven's Gate looking cold red, like deep red jumpsuits. Super fashionable. And they all have these real fancy like driving gloves. Uh, if you were like driving like a real fancy car. Um, things get real like your stomach real really starts feeling all of the things that go down. Um, Adelaide is tied up. Her family is, you know, kind of spread out all over the place. And Red has a rather large and sharp, thick pair of, like, steel scissors that she's just, like, flaunting right in front of her. And sits down, and she begins to tell her a story about how there was this little girl who had this nice life and there was another little girl who had like the opposite of that life. And so where I'm going with all of this is my question is going to be, who's the true villain in this film, in this story? Is it Adelaide or is it Red? Because we're feeling for Adelaide right now. We feel empathy for her. You know, they, you, he, Jordan Peele puts in this um, great horror movie trope that really works to his advantage. And I think he did it 1000% on purpose when the wife, mom, whatever maternal character in the movie is beginning to feel edgy. She's beginning to feel spooky off vibes and she's not liking it. And she starts to say things. And the husband is always just like, oh, it'll be fine. Blah, 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 blah. Like, don't worry about it. Blah, blah. Um, that's exactly how he ends up speaking. Uh, his doppelganger sounds exactly like that, FYI. And um, so with that, you kind of feel for her in a bit because you're like, you can genuinely see that she's like, you know, she's upset. She's fearful. She's thinking something bad's going to happen. And then boom, it fucking does. And it's real bad, like real, real bad. Okay. What's more horrific than seeing, like, your two children who are not, like, your children? Like, the worst versions of what your children could be. That's who Red's kids are. And Red's kid's husband is, like, the opposite of Adelaide's. Adelaide's got this really cute, doofy fucking... He was in Black Panther. Like, so he's just, like... Anyways, he's a babe. And... You know, and like I said, just kills it with his goddamn dad jokes. He does his funny singing, you know, he's just like that guy. And his doppelganger is like the polar opposite of him. He literally just moans and has no like verbal expression, hardly whatsoever. And it's just so intense. And so you're in that moment, she's in the chair, and you're just feeling all these things. She's literally seeing this horrific um horrific like nightmare come to life you know when she was younger she saw a little girl who looked exactly like her but wasn't her we didn't see what happened after that point right and so if you're sitting in that chair and you're an adult now and you're seeing the nightmare from your childhood you're seeing the lookalikes to your husband and your two kids but they're not them the same thing you went through when you were a little girl you know, your brain is probably like frying, like what the fuck is going on? Why is this happening? You know, make it go away. Well, this is when I 
this is when the question comes up again. Who's the villain? Is it Adelaide? Is it Red? Because we find out after some, as I like to say, batshit crazy stuff goes down. We find out in a twisty turn of events that um, Adelaide is Red. In the little girl scene in the beginning of the movie, you've got Adelaide with the apple and you've got the little girl in the hall of mirrors they switch she fucking pulls candy apple's ass down the fucking hall of mirrors down the creepy 70s looking escalators down where all the bunnies are at is like peace out i'm out of here i'm gonna go live with your parents now you can deal with this shit because i'm gonna go live my best life and she does but the thing is is when she comes to the you know surface of the earth here uh at, in santa cruz when she comes back to adelaide's parents as adelaide not red anymore she can't talk because when she tells her little story her little yarn uh not yarn it's a true story in this movie um the doppelgangers the tethered people down below experience the opposite of their person up top so um as red you know learns to speak upstairs and learns how to like dance as this therapy to get her talking again um not talking again talking for the first time you know her parents think that she's got some ptsd thing that happened to her and that she's just not talking anymore she's never been able to fucking talk and now she's learning how to dance so we get these gnarly cuts of um of of little red up in the real world dancing beautifully in a ballet and then we get sad adelaide who's like trapped deep down below doing these crude sharp jagged movements and it's really so sad it's I'm just thinking about that scene right now and the way it's cut and shot. And it's just, it's really um, heartbreaking because again, who is the villain here? You've got these two little girls. One is stuck in this awful world that like she didn't ask to be in. And, but then again, the one that freaking got out was just trying to survive and she didn't ask for to be born in that other world either. So, you know, you just have this weird, you know, I, you know, the one thing about this movie is, is every time I see it, I never know really how I feel when it's done and that's when I know I love a movie that's when I know that like I can watch it again and again and again because I'm always trying to 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 find out what it is that I'm what's like stirring inside of me here and what I think it is is the level of empathy you have if you can go back and just think of like these two little girls you got one that's stuck in this nasty dark world you know, and then you've got another one that like was born into it and saw an opportunity to get out and she just bounced and it's intense. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to leave it with you guys. You know, who's the true villain? Is it Adelaide? Is it Red? Is the villain the little girl who got out or the little villain, the little girl who got stuck and was like, you know what? We're not going to live down here anymore. I was not born into this freaking tethered underground I have a mind of my own I can talk I can think I can speak I'm going to use my voice to bring all of these freaking 
sad doppelgangers who live in this like escalator rabbit world and I'm going to bring them up to the top and I'm going to let their moany voices be heard and you know by god she does it she dies in the end I like I said spoilers um and that makes me feel real sad and I think most of her the doppelganger kids die and you know it's so mm, yeah it's pretty gnarly you know it's just uh Jordan Peele is a mastermind and he really gives you this fascinating look at what a villain can be what a villain is and really he's gonna make you think about how you feel about the villain that he has in his movie speaking of how villains make you feel i'd like to get into magneto the super mega villain from the X-Men. X-Men. The X-Men. X-Men. Whatever. Tomato. Tomato. Feelings of Magneto are intense. He is a very black and white villain in terms of how he views things. He's very much a mutant versus human. It's my kind versus your kind. Your kind has tried to annihilate my kind from as long as I can remember. Therefore, you know, at all costs, I will protect my own. And again, like I said, that stems from his childhood because he... um watched his mother die in World War II at one of the fucking camps, and he freaking, you know, gross Nazi stuff, you know? And he's just not about that fucking life. And so as he gets older and his powers manifest into this manipulation of metal and, um, and uh what else uh he gets like a following you know he becomes this magnetic uh character this figure that um is very charismatic and has a way of speaking and um not just convincing people really getting people other mutants to uh believe that his ideal uh, ideology is uh the one to go with and it is a uh the opposite side of the coin to uh my god professor x anyways um so yeah two totally different views you know the other guy is just trying to figure out how to work alongside humans how to have a a balanced type of um life with these two different you know species and magneto is always set on um on uh on humans being like a sub level to mutants. Mutants are like what humans should aspire to be. Mutants are the evolution of humans. You know, you get superpowers because you have evolved into something greater than. And so he's just got like this just whoo big D energy and he just like walks around freaking 
being a boss, okay, and when I was, like, a young teenager, the first um, X-Men movie came out, and I think, oh, my God, what was it, like, 2001? So you had Ian McKellen playing him, and this was pre-Gandalf, okay? So we hadn't seen him as, like, the old gray wizard or the old fucking white wizard. Neither one of those things, right? So I was like, oh, my God, like, this fucking this bad guy is great. Like, and then I was like, I kind of agree with him. And then I was like, am I a mutant? Am I, am I fighting on the wrong side? Am I supposed to be at the school with fucking Wolverine and Anna Paquin? Or am I supposed to be fucking hitching a ride with Rebecca Romaine freaking Stamos at the time and getting in the car with big daddy freaking Magneto? You know, that's what I'm saying. Feelings. He'll make you feel some things because, you know, next thing you know, you're just like, you're on that bus and you're driving to freaking Jonestown and you're, you're going anywhere with him. You'll go to, you're, you're, anyways, I didn't want to make that joke any darker than I already did. Um, so yeah, he does have these kind of cult leader type vibes. He's able to attract, you know, young, powerful mutants to fight alongside with him. He's able to kind of manipulate people's, um, I don't know, feelings. You see what he kind of does with Raven slash, uh, mystique and you know he just again feelings you know he is just that great black and white villain it's us versus them survival at all costs no human really means that much um and he really proves it. If you want to know what a bad guy he can actually be is when Mystique in one of the movies, one of the early ones, she gets shot with the, um, oh, I don't know what it is. There was a, if the mutants wanted to get rid of their powers or whatever, there was this, um, um, shot you could take or what was it? No, that was in, whoo, I'll get my movie scrambled. That was days of future past. I'm talking about I think it was the third one when What's-Her-Face comes back as Dark Phoenix, not Sophie Turner. Love her. Um, no, but this was Famke J- uh, J- oh my God, Famke Jensen. Wow. I'm getting way, went through a spiral right now. Um, it was like early 2000s. It was when Jean Grey comes back as Dark Phoenix and then Wolverine has to kill her at the end. And it's so sad because he has to freaking put his claws in her. But, um... Yeah, Magneto. He's a fucking asshole in this one because Mystique, when she's still played by Rebecca Romaine, um, she gets shot by the fuck I don't know, one of the fucking military dudes, um, shoots her with the like with a bullet trank thing that has anti superpower fucking juice inside of it. So she gets shot, she loses her ability to use her her, her use her powers and transform. <coughs> Pardon me. And, um, she's just lying there in this truck bed, I think it is. And Magneto sort of just looks at her and I don't even know if he shrugs. He just turns around and she had been with him for so long. So, you know, he is a real bad guy, but, um, again, he's got big energy, uh, love him, hate him, whatever. Um, you know, like a true villain, he had a very, very sad beginning and, um, It affected his end, so that's that. I have to give a super duper um, big shout out to Michael Fassbender for playing 
young adult Magneto, okay? Like I said, we were talking about feelings, and uh, he's part of the reason why I think the cinematic version of Magneto didn't get into the comic version of him because, again, I don't have that kind of knowledge. I can't bestow it to you. I can only give you my movie knowledge, and X-Men is one of my favorite um, comic book uh superhero movie franchises series whatever you want to call them and um when we got to have that um beginning storyline to magneto in days of futures past and get him um you know seeking his nazi revenge and hunting down these fucking gross nazis from back in the day and just freaking you know kicking ass taking names and you know then he meets freaking good old professor and uh it's just uh he did a great job so I just wanted to say good on you Michael Fassbender way to go I don't think you need a shout out from me but I'm gonna give it to you anyways um now I would like to discuss um another comic book uh villain um if you were a big fan of Thor Ragnarok, then you're going to enjoy this little blurb about Hela. Hela is Thor and Loki's older sister. She had so much powerful potential, destructive powerful potential, that their father Odin locked her up in a fucking prison, um, like forever and ever and ever. And when Odin finally kicked the fucking bucket, she came back out and she was like, what's up, bros? I'm your long little sister. She didn't have a Australian accent. I'm just giving it to her because she is Australian and so is Thor. Um, they're Oz, they're Australian as guardians. <laughs> okay. Anyways, um, so what's really cool about her is she has really awesome horns. I'm an Aries, so anything with horns is gonna be good for me. Her makeup is intense. It's amazing. Uh, the suits, the looks, everything, it's perfection. And beyond just the aesthetics of, of her whole her whole look, her personality is, um, it's really good. Usually, sometimes female villains can get a little bit weird depending on who's writing them, how they're writing them, you know, what's the motivation, um, you know, you always, you always need to know at least what the motivation is with the villain. You know, everybody's like, oh, the Joker doesn't have any motivation. Chaos is his motivation. So everybody does at some point. So I think she just has like, you know, brother daddy issues. And she was just like, nobody even gave me a chance to be good. And you just locked me away. And here I am fucking fulfilling this prof this Ragnarok prophecy of like, bringing this planet down and she fucking does. I mean, Thor technically unleashes this big, like, devil monster-looking thing. <coughs> but she is basically the cause of, like, everything turning to literal hell. Um, and Kate Blanchett is amazing as ever. She brings a charm and a just, like, a cleverness. You know, you get some Loki vibes, but you also get this sort of, sort of like, kind of stoic type strength but her and Thor are similar to where like even though dad's dead 
in the movie or in this story, Odin's gone. Anthony Hopkins is like fades out into like the sunset cliffs. And um, she's still trying to like get some weird approval and she's still trying to like prove all this stuff. Sort of how like I've only seen like the first I never saw the second Thor. But um, I remember from the first one and in all the Avenger movies, you know, he's just like this dude that like, especially when he's at Asgard, he's always trying to like kind of prove himself or just like, or do like the opposite of it. He either really fucking goes 100 or he's just like, oh, I've got it all figured out. I don't need to prove anything more. And I think that like, she sort of has like the same kind of makeup where like, she's stomping around, she's again she's like definitely kicking ass and she's taking some names she's she's getting a like a crew together and she just starts doing some just like crude awful things to where it's like it's clear that she's never gonna win any of the love of the people where like thor always will he's always gonna have that to him even loki has that to him and unfortunately she just didn't have that and that was that led to her demise and unfortunately to the demise of the whole planet of Asgard. And unfortunately for Asgard, spoiler alert, all the fucking leftovers that made it out of the planet, they were all on a spaceship and fucking Thanos showed up and he fucking killed all the motherfuckers. The only one that got away was like Thor and oh, Tessa Thompson, Valkyrie made it out alive because well, was she even there? She no, she was at the trash planet. Was she on the ship? Hmm. Trivia question of the day. Whoever gets it right gets a $10 gift card to 7-Eleven. So, anyways, um, Hella, she's great. Great looks, great vibes, bad energy. Um, she could have turned it around. You know, with a villain, you're always like, you know, could they, could they have really turned it back around? Could they really have gotten, you know, could they have really come on to the light side? And... Ooh, I just don't know with her. I think she was just too far gone. The pettiness and then the, just like the issues. She was just like, she had too much to prove. And she just did it too hard, too fast. And she just burned out like the uh, the Neil, the Neil Young song. It's better to burn out than to fade away. And that's what she did. So RIP Hella. We'll see you in the next life. Everybody loves a good prophecy. Some of the best tales of time have been full of, of stories and seeds planted in people's minds of, of futures to come, whether they're good or they're bad or something that's going to happen in their, in their lifetime that's going to affect them, um, you know, insurmountably. And when it comes to a young man... A young Jedi Knight named Anakin Skywalker. Prophecy, dreams, and nightmares become an awful reality that some would call is a self, self-fulfilling prophecy. He self-fulfills this nightmarish end to his light uh, life with his wife and his um you know, future children. He is terrified that he's going to lose her in childbirth. And he is just riddled with 
these just awful night terrors and it is starting to affect the way he sees the force and how he feels it and he views it and a certain senator palpatine gets his claws into him and he starts feeding off of this fear he feeds off of um the panic and the anxiety that um this young Lord Vader is going through. Um, and it is really sad to watch. And it's really awful because you see this young man who just clearly needs somebody to just sit down and tell him, like, not that everything's going to be okay, but that, like, if something bad does happen, that, like, you know, there's, like, tools and things out there that, like, can help you move on from it. Um and he just really is not interested in that method at all. He's just like, fuck it all. I'd rather just go to the dark side. And, you know, and so whatever. He makes um, a couple really questionable choices. And he starts getting nasty to, like, the ones he loves the most. Like, you know, Padme and Obi-Wan and um, his other fellow Jedis. And he just drifts further and further into the darkness and Palpatine just eats it up. He loves it. He thrives off it. He feels it. And it makes him so much more powerful than he already is. Um, and so I don't think I really need to say spoiler alerts here because this is fucking Star Wars I'm talking about. And um, I'm talking about Darth Vader. And we're going to go all the places I can go with this because, um, although my knowledge is, is limited compared to like huge Star Wars fans, I feel like I've done a pretty decent amount of research lately and I've just really been loving the folklore of Star Wars and getting, um, different kind of storylines and blurps about, um, there that's in, a there's like these comic books and then you've got the, all this stuff on Disney now, and there's plenty of outlets to look into like, okay, well, Palpatine, what was his early life like? You know, there's, there's things you can find out there and you can get a couple different, um, you know, versions of what that's like. Um, it seems like Palpatine was in sort of a kind of prominent family, but like thought he was just better than and cooler than just real narcissistic kind of an asshole. And just fucking chose to go to the dark side. Like, real sort of random. And, um, one thing that was cool to find out about is, um, Sith Lords, they get an apprentice. The apprentice, you know, kind of peaks when they kill their, their master. Which is just sort of a weird kind of relationship, I guess. Um, and so growing up and stuff, I could never really figure out, like, why is, like, Vader, you know, why did, why does him and Palpatine have this just, um, this just, I don't know, insidious, like, relationship where they're just, like, kind of sewn into each other, and, like, Vader will do anything that he asks, and, um, finding out that that's what the Sith's relationships are with each other, um, that's pretty fucking cool. You can, you can clearly see it. And I don't know, maybe they do say it in the movie. I never picked up on it. I just think that's really cool. And, um, 
ultimately, you know, we see Darth Vader take him down um, in order to save his son, Luke. And speaking of sons and daughters and old uh, masters, if you will, I find it sort of odd that Darth Vader, with all of his powers, after Anakin basically dies and Darth Vader is born into this like robotic suit, um, I find it very interesting that he didn't have it in him to find where his children were in like the universe and somehow couldn't like track down his old Jedi master when like he had no problem killing like a bunch of little tiny children fucking Jedis but like he's not gonna go out and find Obi-Wan somewhere in like the fucking universe let alone where'd he end up on his fucking home planet I mean honestly this guy is a villain and a half don't get me wrong but Vader always had that like little Anakin in him still because I'm telling you, he could have found all of them and done, I guess, what like Palpatine, Darth Sidious would have wanted him to do. Um, but he doesn't, you know, Luke is able to grow up. So it's Leia and Obi-Wan is able to grow old enough to be able to fucking train Luke and um, bring him to the light side. So, you know, I'm wondering if Darth Vader ended up playing, like, the long game here, you know? I know Anakin, in his mind, knew immediately he made a mistake when, like, all of his limbs were, like, melting off on, like, the lava planet after Obi-Wan was done with him. But, you know... (sighs) Yeah, he's he's a good one, man. He's scary. He's... Oh, he's big scary in Rogue One at the... If you haven't seen Rogue One, skip ahead. Um, at the end of Rogue One, man, he comes in, he's all fucking pissed off because his dude's fucked up, or uh, what's he trying to do? No, he's trying to get the message before it goes, um, before it goes out, and he's freaking using his freaking dark Sith powers, he's doing his chokehold, slamming dudes up on the ceiling, literally just with his hand, and he got his, his, oh my god, the lightsaber battle was so good, he's so good, he's so dark, he's so spooky, he's so great, and, um, that's why I'm ending it with um, him and, and Darth Sidious Palpatine. You know, um, the only thing about Palpatine that's kind of fascinating now where we're at with the whole Star Wars universe is that his bloodline, you know, gave birth to like literal a literal ray of light. You know, Ray is the most... I just really enjoy her character. She is honestly just light she's pure she is balanced and she is fair and she is everything Palpatine is not and it's wonderful and you know thank you guys for getting through this villain series it's been a long it's been a long haul and uh you know we might get into some more down the road you know there's still Cersei Lannister there's still like so many more so thank you for tuning in and uh next time we're gonna do my girl and Jamie Lee Curtis so We'll see you guys next time.